Hi, I'm Jim Juno, and this is The Juno Files. In the annals of rock and roll, there have been a lot of strange characters, but there probably hasn't been anyone as bizarre as Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Known mostly for a single record and emerging from a coffin to perform on stage, Screamin' Jay was a whirlwind performer, a lusty singer, a prolific songwriter, and a man who was a total stranger to the truth. I've put a spell on you, The Bizarre Life of Screamin' Jay Hawkins, a new book from author Steve Bergsman and published by Feral House Books will be available on July 1. I talked with Bergsman about his latest book. This guy, for those of you who are not familiar with Stephen, uh, with Screamin' Jay Hawkins, you will probably know the song I Put a Spell on You because recently it has been in the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. And it was sung then by Annie Lennox of the Eurythmics, but now Screaming Jay Hawkins himself was a, he was a rather strange dude, wasn't he, Guy? He was very interesting, you might say. Uh, uh, I Put a Spell on You was his, probably one of his most normal records, uh, and uh, you can you can say that of all the the, the weird um, groups that, that, that we've seen in rock and roll, starting from Kiss or Alice Cooper or going back to the crazy world of Arthur Brown, they all owe that craziness to Screamin' Jay Hawkins, who was the first to dress up bizarrely uh, to do his show. And matter of fact, He's most known for coming out of a coffin <laughs> to sing I Put a Spell on You. Now, in the book, now in the book, I mean, let's face it, Jay Hawkins, Screaming Jay Hawkins always gave like about five different five different versions of his life. And how hard was it separating the fact from the fiction? Well, that, that's interesting that you say that. I, 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 it's doubtful that he, he could utter more than five words without telling a fabrication. So, and it didn't matter who you were, whether you were a close friend, whether you were his wife, whether you were a journalist, whether you were somebody that did him a favor, you were going to get a story that was basically not true. <laughs> so, but how hard was it for you as the author to dig through all that and say, well, this this could be true, this might not be true. Well, I, I had to sort through a lot of interviews, uh, and I, I got a couple of breaks, because, you know, I, I found his daughter, and she was helpful to me. I found his, uh, um, his, his first sister-in-law from his first marriage, I was able to uh, pull up his military records, and then it was a lot of uh, uh, internet gumshoe, you might say, to track down different parts of his life. So uh, I got as, got as close to the truth as I think mo uh, most people will find. <laughs> now he had a, now he now he started with a. A rather, I would say, a normal act with Tiny Grimes and 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 playing in the USO tours when he was in the army. Even though he he liked to be he liked to say that he was seeing combat later on, but um, 
but his development of his persona came over time, didn't it? Well, there are uh, a couple things. So, yes, uh, we think he played with uh, um, the military bands, uh, although uh, for years and years he would say either he, he saved America in World War II or he saved America in the Korean War. He would often get confused which story he was telling, and every story he told was more bizarre than the one before. <laughs> but he came out of... Um, uh, out of the military, and uh, and again, we believe he was in uh, a special uh, uh, group uh, that played music as opposed to fighting. And uh, but he got the break of his life with Tiny Grimes, who was a very well-known jazz musician. Uh, uh, and um, but 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 jazz was on its way out and rhythm and blues was transforming into in the late 40s rhythm and blues was transforming into uh rock and roll and tiny grimes had to scramble to keep up and he had this very wacky group uh called the rockin highlanders which did the famous uh, uh irish no, Scottish, sorry, I mm-hmm. take that back. The Skyrish, Scottish folk song, Loch Lamond, and, and, and they dress up as uh, with kilts and, and tams and, and all that. So you got to visualize uh, a group of, uh, of uh, African-Americans in, in kilts and tams and plaids singing Loch Lamond. <laughs> and that was the group that Tiny Grind, um, that... Uh, Tiny Grimes invited, scream. Uh, well, he was Jalousy Hawkins at the time, right? To 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 get his start. Plus, they would do all sorts of other outrageous things. So I think uh, uh, the first lesson that that uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins learned was it didn't hurt to be outrageous. Now, see, I remember him. I remember him um, from the movie American Hot Wax, and. By the way, if you if you want to see him in his full onstage persona, that is the movie to see him in, because he gets out of the limousine with a with a pygmy bone between his nose, bare chested, holding his faithful Henry, and Henry is was his skull on a stick, and um, but that's what I remember him by. But he had a special re- relationship with Alan Freed, didn't he? Well, yeah. So. Uh Jalousy Hawkins, Screaming Joe Hawkins, we'll, we'll call him, even though that was the name he made up for himself, right. was from Cleveland. And uh, Alan Freed had been working his way through the Midwest. He was a talented DJ and finally got his big break in Cleveland. So uh, both, uh, so when uh, Screaming Jay got out of the service, uh, um, Alan Freed was in his prime in Cleveland, sort of helping invent rock and roll. Well, he didn't invent rock and roll. It was there, but he gave it a lot of publicity because he really had a, uh, a late-night show that focused solely on, on the, the, the R&B that would become rock and roll. That included the, the doo-wop, which was uh, an African-American uh, offshoot of R&B, uh, and he played the uh, um, played all this late at night, 
and, and his audience was white. So uh, what white people would, would uh, teenagers would listen to this very hip jive and all these great uh, rhythm and blues songs. And that's, and that sort of was the beginning of uh, uh, rock and roll, you might say. And um, so uh, Screamin' Jay comes back from the service. He goes, comes home to Cleveland. He gets on his radio. He hears this uh, jive-talking guy, and, and they're playing this great music. And he says, you know, well, I'm going to go visit this guy. And he does. And uh, Alan Freed was a nice guy. And uh, he said, well, well, when you're famous, come see me again. Now, did Alan Probably, Freed... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. He, he, he probably thought he would never see this this uh, this cat again, but you know, five years later, there he is now, with did, a hot record. Did Alan Freed give him the nickname Screaming? No, he gave it to himself. He had tried different names as he was working his way from band to band to band, and and all his. Uh, first recordings on on very small labels, and, and don't forget there were a lot of colorful names out there. There was Big Joe Turner, for example, uh, who was very popular. So if you have a Big Joe Turner, hey, it's not a big leap to do a Screaming Jay Hawkins. That's right. That's totally true. And uh, <clears throat> so, but he, uh, like I said, he got his break in Cleveland along with along with Alan Freed. And, um, well, he didn't get his break in Cleveland, so he, he met oh. Alan Freed, mm -hmm. and then uh, you, you can't say that uh, Alan Freed invented rock and roll, but you might be able to say that Alan Freed invented the rock and roll concert, because in, in, in uh, now I don't remember the year it was now, um, I'm not looking at my book, but it was very early, around 50 or 51 he has. He decides to throw a concert with a number of, of coming up rhythm and blues act uh, acts, including Tiny Grimes. And this concert, uh, uh, I don't, there was there were so many teenagers uh, that wanted to come to this concert that it was a near riot situation. And only the first group got to sing one song, and then the police closed it all down for fear that of, of a riot. So he, he invented the concert, but it never happened because the police closed it down. <laughs> there were so many kids that wanted to come to see this. So Alan Freed later went on uh, to you know, be a big uh, disc jockey in New York, and for years he would have uh, concerts uh, uh in New York, that and, and he used the same lineup. He, he would say, "Okay, here's ten acts, one right after another," and teenagers at the time would would flock to see the these shows. No, he. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, uh, skip forward from 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 Cleveland uh, when Alan Freed's in New York, and um, there's Screamin' Jay, who uh, suddenly has a, a, a it's kind of a hit record. Uh, and I say kind of because uh, uh, I Put a Spell on You was sung with a very uh, uh, weird, ghoulish noises from, from, from Screamin' Jay. And this is, what, this is what made the song. 
it was not just a, an interesting song, but he, he put this personal ghoulish touch on it. And he had all these uh, gasps and noises and, and grunts that he would do with the song. And people thought, this is obscene, and uh, a lot of stations wouldn't play the song. But, but Alan Freed was going to put him on uh, uh, one of his shows, and he suggested to, uh, to Scream and Jay, you know, why don't you do your song but come out of a coffin? And uh, Scream and Jay, I, I, there's no way I'm coming out of a coffin. <laughs> and uh, uh, they discussed it a little bit, and Alan Freed starts uh, whipping out uh, $100 bills or, or whatever. And when he gets to a, a good number, uh, probably, uh, it, they say it was about $300, Screaming Jay says, okay, I'm coming out of a coffin. And then that's what he did. Coffin opens up, Screaming Jay comes out, and he launches, I put a spell on you. And that was his act for the next 50 years. Now, I, and I put a spell on you, obviously his most famous song, not, o not his only hit, but that's his most famous song. And he, you say he didn't. He doesn't even remember recording it. Well, yeah, you know, he when he went to record the song. Well, the first time he recorded this song, it was a a ballad, uh, sort of romantic. He, he didn't, didn't have the grunts and groans. He didn't have all that nonsense. It was a straight ballad. And then he he, uh, he gets a break, and uh, it's time to do another recording. And uh, it's not going well. And the producer brings in uh, uh, dinner, fried chicken, and lots and lots of booze. Because <laughs> he wants Screaming Jay and his band. And he had a very good band uh, backing up all professional guys uh, Mickey Baker of uh, Mickey, later on of Mickey and Sylvia fame, uh, all these great sessions museum. They all come together. They're they're having a party. They're drinking. They're they're eating dinner. They they're drinking like like fish. They can barely stand up, and then they just launch into this crazy. I put a spell on you, with screaming jays, all screaming jays, grunts and groans. And, uh, and I, Screaming Jay pretty much says, by the end of the recording session, not a man was standing. <laughs> How much fun was it for you to write this book? Because it sounds like you had a ball researching his life. Well, it was, uh, it, 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 you know, let me say, so the, the way I got to, to write this book, um, I had written a book about Johnny Ace, a uh, 1950s singer. He was the most popular uh, R&B act in the early 50s. And then he, and the story goes that he, he committed suicide playing Russian roulette. So, but uh, then I met online this guy uh, named Mike Armando because he kept talking about Johnny Ace. And it turned out Johnny Ace was a, a bandmate of his, not the famous Johnny Ace from the 1950s. But we became friends online, and he said, you know, you really should do a story on uh, Screamin' Jay Hawkins. And I, and I tell you that because I was part of his backup band in the 1970s. Hmm. And I said, Mike, uh, I don't know, because I didn't know anything about Screamin' Jay other than the song. 
But uh, I eventually came around, and I said I, I'd do the, uh, uh, I'd try and do a book about it. I, I didn't know how far it would go. But the more I got into it, the more fun it became. And uh, there were a lot of people out there who remembered Screaming Jay, who, who sang with him, or were in his band, or, or, or Screaming Jay screwed over, because Screaming Jay <laughs> generally screwed over almost everybody. Uh, and... Um, so it, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun, and you know, from 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 really zero knowledge about him to being able to put a book, it, it, it was really, uh, you know, I I, I was a, I can't say it was a labor of love. It was just fun. Yeah, it's, it's, and it was a lot of fun reading it. And um, one of the things that that uh, struck me now, you know, he now he told every everybody his own version of the truth, um, what he remembered the truth being at that moment, I guess. But, um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah. how many kids did he really have? I mean, you said you found his daughter, and she's, me- and she's mentioned at length in the book. Yeah, so there was a woman, I think it was in the 80s, uh, who decided to find out how many kids Screaming Jay had. And she, she, did, she actually did, a, there was a British documentary on this. And they came, uh, they started out, they went to 55 children, then they went to 85 children. And uh, this woman decided to have a get-together of everybody who said they were Screaming Jay's child. And they got together, and there was maybe five or six people. Oh, well, okay. And uh, so I, you know, then I looked at, Okay, I looked at his marriages because he was always married. Mm-hmm. He always needed a woman at his side. And uh, okay, so and one marriage during the height of his playing lasted for about twenty years. And she knew her husband well. She barely let him out of his sight, but out of her sight. Oh. So there was a twenty-year period where. She was pretty close to him. Not to say he probably didn't have gigs elsewhere and screwed around. Mm-hmm. But I mean, by the time I, I was figuring it out and looked, and I said, probably at the most, he could have had fifteen kids. Which still isn't a, isn't bad. It's still a lot. Yeah, but <laughs> it's not eighty-five. Right. Not not the numbers that that were being passed around. So, um, but right. So. Uh, and, and he didn't have uh, any children with uh, the, the woman he was married to for, for all that period of time, nor did he have any children with any of the women, I got to think that this is true now, that he married afterwards. He only had children, three with his first wife, just three with his first wife, and none with his wives after that. Mm. And, but... He played around an awful lot, no doubt. And so, uh, so you figure some of those women might have gotten pregnant. Yeah, but a doubtful was eighty-five or fifty-five or any of those crazy numbers. You wouldn't have time. Yeah, I mean it's like. <laughs> well, you know that, that that's that that's absolutely true. I mean, he, you know, he had a uh, to make a living. He had to be on the road all the time. Otherwise, he wasn't getting any money because after I put a spell on you, his records didn't sell. Mm-hmm. No matter how many albums he cut or records he cut, 
they just didn't sell well enough for him to have income. So he had to be on the road. And uh, he had to he had to do the shows. He had to go back on the road, go to the next show. And uh, it's in between he might have screwed around with some women, but he was a busy guy just <laughs> doing what he had to do. Yes, he had to make a living and he you know, so but still fifteen kids is not bad. And but we you know, your book does attempt to clear up some of the things that he says that maybe he said tongue in cheek or he embellished a a bit, so uh, and and that and that made the book fun to read. Um, let me ask you this: You got anything else coming down the pike? Yeah, I have a. Um, so this book officially comes out around July first, and then I just. Uh, well, I'll know. Uh, I'll, I'll get the contract Monday. I'm doing a book with the Dixie Cups. Now you might oh, remember the yes. Dixie Cups girl groups from the early '60s. Chapel of Love, uh, people say Ico Ico, those songs. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, I've been working on over the past two years, three books from the girl group era. I was uh, uh, working with uh, Beverly Lee of the Shirelles. Right. And, and she was, uh, and I helped her with her memoir. And that could have been published now, but. Uh, but, but she's turned down the publishers. Uh. So, but it's still out there, ready to go. And then I, uh, and just by pure accident, I came across a, a woman. She actually contacted me on Facebook. Her name was uh, Murray. I uh, can't think of her first name. Uh, Louise Murray, who I didn't know. She contacted me, and she was... Uh, in the very, very first girl group in 1955, the first female doo-wop group called The Heart, and they had a song called Lonely Night. And then in the early 60s, she was with the Janettes, who had a song called Sally Go Around the Rosie. Sally Go Around the Roses, sorry. And I, I helped her with her book because she had an awful, awful life. Uh, but I'm still reworking that book because it's 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 a tough book. If you read it, you you can't believe this woman survived. Wow! So I was so I've been working on three books from the girl group era, but the next one to go looks like it'll be the Dixie Cups. Fantastic! Well, I tell you, I hope will you come back on the show when that one comes out? I surely will. This was a lot of fun, Jim. Well, I thank you a lot. It was a lot of fun for me also. Let me go ahead and get your name again. It's Steve Bergman. And the book is I Put a Spell on You, The Bizarre Life of Screaming Jay Hawkins. It's published by Feral House. And after July 1, it'll be on sale wherever books are sold. So thank you again, Steve. I appreciate it. Okay, have a good evening. Thank you. You too. This has been the Juno Files. I'm Jim Juno. And remember, as always, if you like what you've heard, please click subscribe. Until next time, that's the Juno Files.